Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So, here we are, chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. Do you feel wiser? Do you feel smarter now after 30 chapters of, of wisdom? It's wonderful that we can get practical instruction for living in God's world. Uh, because he created it, he created us, and uh, he put us here to glorify him and to honor him, and we need to know how to do that. And his word gives us instruction on all different aspects of our life. So yeah, Proverbs chapter 31. It's the final chapter in our journey through this awesome book of wisdom, and it continues with that familiar theme that we've seen throughout, living wisely in God's world. Living wisely in God's world. You know, apart from the wisdom of God, we kind of meander through this life. And we do it using human wisdom. Uh, but the Lord wants us to use, um, to, to tap into the wisdom that he imparts to us through the Bible. That's his desire for us. That's why he gave us this, this instruction book, this book which has been called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, the Bible, and especially in the uh, wisdom literature that we see in the scriptures. So as in the previous 30 chapters, we continue to see practical lessons for men and women, husbands and wives, single people and youth. And even kings. You know, wisdom has no social or age limitations. And you know that we'd all be better off if we would uh, seek after it and apply it to our lives so that we can, um, we can kind of navigate this world in the way that God would want us to do so. Uh, as we've seen, wisdom is personified uh, through the book of Proverbs as a woman. And here in chapter 31, we see, uh, we see a woman, a mother, and a wife, but especially here in this context, a mother giving advice to her son, who just so happens to be the king. And so uh, he's still taking advice from his mom, even though he's the king. And I think that's something that... Uh, we can see that no matter what your position, no matter what your power, uh, good advice should always be embraced. Good advice should always be embraced. As parents, we're expected to teach godly lessons to our children. And for those receiving those lessons, we're supposed to heed the counsel and we're supposed to apply it to our lives. You know, it says in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And now look at the instructions here. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall 
Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in your way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So, kind of giving us practical instruction here of what we're supposed to do with wisdom. We're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to impart it to those who God puts in our lives. It says in Psalm 34, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you what? The fear of the Lord. The most important counsel that we can get. The fear of the Lord. Chapter 31 here is broken up or divided into two sections. The first section records a mother's counsel to her son, the king. The second half, which is kind of the most, the probably the more well-known uh, section of this, of this chapter, is, gives us a description of the excellent wife. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to read through the first nine verses, and then we're going to kind of break it down a little bit. Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him, What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and, let him, and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless, in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth and judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. So we see here in verses 1 and 2 the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. So this is something that the king's mother gave to him, recorded by the king. Um, and it says, what, my son, what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? So very clear here that this is a mother speaking to her son. But who is Lemuel? You know, we, we only heard of him once or twice before in the book of Proverbs. The word Lemuel, or the name uh, in Hebrew, means for God. For God. A lot of commentators have different opinions about this, but this is probably King Solomon. This is probably a nickname that his mother gave him. And maybe she was praying that he would be for God. He would be for God in all he did. And in many ways, he was for God. Unfortunately, much of Solomon's life, he also went his own way. He was for Solomon and not for God. And he applied his own wisdom to his life. And he lived the consequences of that. Solomon records the following advice, even though he didn't heed a lot of it himself. So he was not necessarily for God we can sense the passion and emotions of a mother trying to guide her son in these verses. If King Lemuel is Solomon, then his mother Bathsheba would certainly have personal experience of the difficulty that comes from following bad advice. And she also saw and experienced firsthand family turmoil 
and family dysfunction. Remember, she was only one of the wives of David who had many, and he, he had many concubines or mistresses. Solomon was her son, and the other offspring of David were by other wives or concubines. And you know, if you go back in the scriptures and look at David's family, David's children, uh, they had their own problems. They had their disobedience and betrayal, among even other more serious sins. So Bathsheba knew of these things, and, but she had a, obviously a special place in her heart for Solomon. She says, my son, three times, indicating her heart toward her child to ensure that he goes in the right direction. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll kind of uh, sort of plead with our kids and we'll call their name out once, twice, three times to follow our advice, to go in the right way. And this is the heart that we see here in Solomon's mother. And in verse 3, it says, Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. So the first piece of advice she gives him here, if you take to yourself many wives, your strength will be weakened. That kind of goes without saying. And God gave instructions to, uh, to the kings about this. In Deuteronomy, it says in, ver- in chapter 17, But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, You shall not, not return that way again, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So we see here that each of those instructions that God gave spoke of the wisdom of balance and moderation. Balance and moderation. See, that's some of the best advice that we can get. And sometimes it's the most difficult to follow. It also shows us in those verses that putting our trust and devotion on anything more than God will end in disaster. Moving on in Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. As we've seen many times in the book of Proverbs, warnings about drunkenness, and the effects of alcohol, and what it can have on your reason and on your judgment. Leaders should maintain clear, sound minds in order to properly make the important decisions that they need to. This is just common sense advice for leaders. For a leader to drink in excess means he may actually begin to judge incorrectly or even immorally. It may start to, it may start to cloud his decision-making. And a leader's job is to sort of advocate for those who are mistreated in society, not distort the justice that they seek. In addition, it tarnishes the honor of the man, doesn't it? When you, when you have a drunkard or, a, or someone who's caught up in some kind of addiction, it tarnishes the honor of the man and of the office that he holds. So a king or a leader 
should exhibit dignity, a dignity that the use of alcohol in excess will damage. But it goes on in verses 6 and 7, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. So we see here uh, this instruction that there may be a benefit, and we have to be very careful here. There may be a benefit to a small amount of alcohol, and remember we've got to think of the context of the times. You know, they didn't have pharmaceuticals and all that to, um, to deal with pain. And so uh, someone's maybe in physical distress or in physical pain. So he's saying here that there's a, there's a place for it. it. This would be, I think, equal to giving a pain reliever, reliever nowadays to someone who's in severe pain. But they contrast that. See, this is, a, this is the right application of this. But for a king to drink in excess to the point where he's, he's not able to think straight and not a, able to make good judgments, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. It says in 1 Timothy, even Paul gives some instruction here, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach. He's instructing Timothy here, for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. So, you know, maybe there was a place there where, where even Paul in the New Testament saw that there could be a benefit to a small amount for, um, for some pain relief there. But be very, very careful with that. Even the, he, he allows for it in moderation. Remember, these instructions were balance and moderation. Balance and moderation in life. We're, we're to maintain self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We're not to be out of control in our lives. Moving on in Proverbs 31, uh, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the speechless. Now remember, these are instructions from a mother to the king. In the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So again, the king was supposed to advocate for those who could not plead their own cause. And I think application to us even today as Christians, we're supposed to do the same. We can be those representatives of the compassion and the benevolence of God toward others. And, you know, we can just make that application to our lives. Is there someone in our sphere of influence who's, who's being persecuted, who's downtrodden, who's uh, less fortunate than we are? Can we be that voice that they don't have? Can we show the compassion of God to them and, and uh, use uh, what we know of our relationship with God to maybe to give assistance to them? So the first nine verses, kind of the first half almost of this chapter, are instructions given to a king, but you know they're useful for all of us to live godly and righteous lives. Now, the next 22 verses, and I'm going to do something a little different with these verses. I'm going to kind of uh, put them together um, as the thoughts are the same in some of the verses. So it may not run consecutively um, from, uh, from verse 10 to the end. So I'm going to put the verses up there, how I group them together. But these next 22 verses comprise really one of the most well-known passages in all of the Bible. It describes the characteristics 
of a godly woman who demonstrates spiritual wisdom and moral values. Now, we, we must be very careful here that we don't let that ladies, you don't look at this and feel like I fall short in every single one of these things and start to come down on yourself. And men, don't, don't make a list here of things that you're going to bring to your wife's attention where she's not doing these things. These, this, I have to put a caveat in front of this. See, now, like anything else in the Scriptures, God gives us instruction. He gives us His ideal, doesn't He? He tells us, it, te- it says in the Word, be perfect, for I am perfect. Now, can any of us say we've achieved that? No. But God instructs us to the ideal and then tells us to pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us to work toward that ideal. Let Him do that work in your life, that you become closer and closer to Jesus Christ. We were speaking earlier tonight in the new creation class about sanctification and that process where the old man still rears its ugly head even though we know that we're saved. We know that we're new creations, and yet those old things keep coming back. Well, that's because we're in a sinful, fallen world, and we are not perfect, even though God's Word says for us to be perfect. So I wanted to throw that out there. Make sure that you don't take these as things that, that you just can never aspire to, or things that you know you fall short of, ladies, or guys not to use it against your wives. Now, The other way that this was used, obviously, as instruction from a mother to a son would be look for these characteristics, look look for these traits in a wife. These are the kinds of things that if she aspires to, that would be a good thing. And instructions maybe for a mother to a daughter, these are the kind of things that you want to aspire to as you seek the Lord for growing and, and how to be that, that person, everything that God's created you to be. So like any other godly objective, we need God to accomplish it in us. We can't do it ourselves. We can't achieve these things on our own. So the poem, which is the verses from 10 to 31, is what we've seen a couple of times in the book of Proverbs, And that's an acrostic, which is uh, each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet used in each of the uh, first words of each of the verses. So, again, like in Psalm 119, where eight verses uh, were taken at a time in an acrostic, it was usually done to help memorize. And so I would expect that this particular portion of Scripture is something that... um, was done in this way so that it becomes part of your memory as a woman, as a man seeking um, you know, what God's ideal is in a spouse. And again, we see that these verses follow the instru- instructions about ver- in verse 3, which speaks about the dangers of choosing unwisely in relationships, especially in marriage. So, verse... Uh, 10, it says, Who can find a virtuous wife? 
for her worth is far above rubies. So this explains the search. This describes kind of the seeking after that ideal. A virtuous wife, although rare, does exist, and she's highly valued and respected. And remember, again, historically, that women were not really that well-respected uh, in, this, in this day. But you see here that God's word elevates, elevates a woman to a place of honor and virtue and value and respect. So the virtuous woman is a wife of valor in a sense of all forms of excellence, that word means. She has strength, she has ability, and she has efficiency in all that she does. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, verse 11, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Trust, trust in the marital relationship is one of the most important characteristics, really, of any good relationship. There has to be trust. And a, and a husband who can fully trust his wife will definitely be blessed. Definitely be blessed. Trust brings with it safety. It brings security. It allows the other person to do what they're called to do. It frees up that other person to do God's will without the feeling of you know, looking over their shoulder or doubting the other's motives or, the, or their intentions. It frees the other one up. And I think in a lot of these things, it can go the other way. It's, this is not really just for women. Certainly, you would want your wife to be able to trust you, too, as a man. So the husband then can follow God's instructions without question because he's secure in the relationship. He's secure in the relationship. How important that is. And then being loyal, right? And then seeking the best for the other person. All of those things go along with verse 11 and 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. The next grouping of verses here emphasize her diligence. They describe the characteristics of servanthood with enthusiasm. In other words, gladly serving the other person. Gladly putting their needs above your own needs. See, she seeks, and remember in the context of the timing of, this, uh, of the writing of this, she seeks wool and flask and willingly works with her hands. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and holds her hand and her hand holds the spindle. She watches over the ways of her household, verse 27, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Does not eat the bread of idleness. It's been said idle hands are what the devil's workshop, right? It's a, it's an old saying. But have you noticed that that's that's really true? Have you noticed that even when you're idle and you have nothing to do, it's very easy to fall into some type of sin. Whether it's a man or a woman, a husband or wife, a child, a student, it doesn't matter. We need to be busy 
about the work of the Lord and not have too much idle time, not have too much downtime. We need to be willingly working and serving others. And it will keep us focused on the Lord's work, whatever that might be. I love this verse in 1 Timothy, and it's um, really sp- it's speaking in the context of a widow, but really this can go for anybody. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Why? Because they had nothing to do. They weren't busy about the work of the Lord. And any of us can get can get caught up in that. Any of us can get caught up in that. So be careful that you don't have too much downtime. The next group of verses here speak about her desire to help others. What a beautiful characteristic of anybody, just having a desire to help others. It says in verse 15, she also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. In verse 20 to 21, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for her household is clothed with scarlet. So, I don't know if you guys got that. The, the wife is supposed to shovel the driveway. Is that, I think that's what I got out of that. Is that maybe a wrong interpretation? Okay, so she rises while yet it is night. Uh, You know, just uh, taking care of the things of her family. You know, being diligent in that. And it's a blessing to for a family to see the wife and the mom caring for them and ministering to them, and then and then. Serving others, extending your hand to the poor, it says. A beautiful characteristic. Reaches out her hands to the needy. And, you know, just not being, not being uh, lazy, being diligent in those things. Well, I just wanted to mention here in what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 first, in first Thessalonians, to be a diligent person, whether a man or a woman, and be an example to those who, even who are unbelievers, because this is where your testimony will uh, will go before you to others. It says in First Thessalonians four that you will also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands, as we commended you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside that you may lack nothing. So this is Paul's instructions to work hard, not to to make too much uh, of a fuss about yourself, and just to walk properly so that those not even of the faith can see that there's something in you that God's working out in your life. And I think that's... uh, that goes for any of us. That goes for any of us. Now, the next grouping here, we see uh, the wife's interest in being a good steward of the resources that God has provided for her family. So, again, very practical things. In verse 14, she is 
like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. So it's pretty uh, industrious of her. She knows about real estate. She makes a good deal. She profits from it. And then she, uh, she plants a vineyard. So uh, I don't know if any of you women are good with finances, but that's something to be, uh, to be honored. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her lamp does not go out by night, so she doesn't run out of oil. She's very diligent about making sure that all of the supplies that the family needs are there and that, um, and that she doesn't run out of things. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. So just an industrious person. So searching out the best foods, maybe the best prices, maybe I guess in today's uh, vernacular, clipping coupons would be something. Looking for good deals, um, being thrifty with the, with the household budget is something that, that's, that's to, be, uh, to be valued. She understands the value of money and what it takes to earn a living and make sure she's not wasting the family's finances. You know, some men don't allow their wives to know anything about the, the finances. But this, this shows us that the Bible makes no sort of gender distinction or gender preference as to who's better at keeping the family books or even making uh, important financial decisions. It doesn't always have to be the man. As a matter of fact, it's to, it's to be valued if a woman can do that also. And verse 24 shows us that she's able to, bring, to figure out how to work from home in order to bring in some extra money. And there's a lot of opportunities maybe uh, for homemakers, uh, for, for wives who stay home with the children, uh, maybe when they're at school, to stay home and make some extra money and bring it in and help out with the family finances. So, uh, again, we're trying to bring it up into the 21st century, and we can see application here. The next grouping of uh, verses here tell us of her focus on keeping herself healthy in order to fulfill her responsibilities. So again, we see practical things here. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. I guess maybe she goes to the gym and works out, right? She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Strength and honor are her clothing. So this is kind of speaking um, spiritually of what people see on the outside is really what's going on on the inside. A person of strength and a person of honor, people will see those characteristics on the outside. It'll be, they'll, you'll wear them like clothing. She'll she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. So these verses um, here speak of her desire to be useful for God, for what God has given her to do. And in order to do that, she must care for herself, both physically and spiritually. And we know, the Bible says, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is with our physical bodies that God works out His plan that He has for our lives. 
And we know, men and women, that if we're not healthy or able to do those things, then we're restricted in how much we can do for the Lord. So this is just um, you know, real practical um, instruction to try your best to keep yourself healthy. God will reward those, those kinds of things, that diligence. Verse 22 speaks of fine linen and purple, which were at that time symbols of wealth. You know, all of these virtuous characteristics will result in blessings for her, blessings for her family, because she's honoring God in everything that she does. And then she presents herself in a dignified and honorable way that reflect the inner beauty. And like I said before, when the inner beauty is really there, you can see it. It comes out. It's almost like wearing clothing. That says, that, that says those things. What's in her heart will come out in what she says. And we all need to be very careful of that. Because what, what's in our heart will eventually come out. It says in Proverbs 16, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. So if you're wise, if you're seeking after the Lord's wisdom, what you say will reflect that. That wisdom will come out in how you speak to others. And then Jesus says in Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What's in your heart will eventually come out in your speech. So we want to have um, pure hearts, righteous hearts, so that what we speak is pure and righteous. And then we're going to move on to the last section here, this last grouping of verses in verse 23. And this section describes her influence on her family and their response to her virtue. And this is where relationship comes in. This is where relationship comes in. Her husband, in verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And then in verse 28 through 31, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And this is his quote. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, verse 30, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. A virtuous wife will enhance her husband's standing in the community. In the society in that day, the gate of the city was a gathering place for people to meet and talk or do business, discuss the affairs of the day. And, you know, people would know each other. People would know your family. Your spouse or your family would either speak well of you or speak ill of you, and others would know that. So a virtuous wife 
just like, again, it can go either way for, for a husband too. Are you speaking well of your spouse? Are you lifting them up? Or are you tearing them down? It's important as we see this, the marital relationship, how partners can influence how others view their spouse. Even in the workplace, you know, today, where a lot of women are working in the workplace, do you, does she promote her husband in the workplace? Or does she degrade him? You know, and for you guys, you know in the workplace, it can become the gutter sometimes about talking about your spouse. Do you lift up, do you exalt your spouse in the presence of others? Or do you tear them down? What do those who you have associations with think of your spouse? Think about that. Even if they've never met them. What do your workmates think of your, of your wife, guys? What do your friends, ladies, think about your husband? has a lot to do with what you're saying about them. Are you lifting them up? Are you enhancing their, uh, their value and their standing among others? And how does, your fa- how does her family view her? This is beautiful. Do, your ch- do her children respect and honor her? Has she taken seriously the responsibility of raising godly children? of raising godly children. Paul speaks in 1 Timothy, kind of, out of after defining roles uh, within the church for men and women and making sure that he, make, he, he lets them know that the woman should never feel inferior because she's been given a great opportunity and a great responsibility to lead her children in a godly way says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So, although the man is given most of the responsibility for spiritual guidance in the home, really, a lot of times, the wife and the mother are the ones who spend more time with the children. And they can impart that godly um, uh, you know, training to their children. And what a joy it is to raise righteous children as they demonstrate godliness uh, when they grow up because they've been following um, the lead of their parents and especially in this case uh, the the mother. Verse 29 there says, Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Does your husband speak highly of you? Does your husband speak highly of you? That's kind of the reward for living a righteous life, for doing, uh, for what you do for your family. Do you, does your husband, do your children speak well of you? And then in, in verse 30, back to verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So this is really, as we close up here, I think the most important thing. This is the most important thing. But a woman who fears the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord. The most important concept in describing really a virtuous person. 
Do you fear God? Do you respect the Lord? Do you have a healthy reverence for God? And really, as we kind of wrap up the entire book of Proverbs, are you seeking godly wisdom in everything that you do? Because that's how you honor God. That's how you show Him the honor that's due His name. That's how you fear the Lord. By respecting Him and reverencing Him and honoring Him and seeking His wisdom and then living that out in, in your life. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And just to close, we want to know God, don't we? As believers, more and more we want to understand who He is and we want to honor Him. We want to, we want to give Him first place in our lives. Why? Because we need wisdom. We need godly wisdom to, to walk in this world. You know, we need the knowledge of God to understand how to do the right thing, how to live the right way. Whether it's relationships uh, with others, whether it's handling finances. Uh, you know, you, we've seen through the book of Proverbs every single subject matter you can think of. You know, whether it's uh, employees and employers, uh, succumbing to addictions, uh, whatever it is. God's word has the wisdom that we need. So do you fear God? Do you desire to know him better in order to walk in his ways? That's a question that we need to all be asking ourselves. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.